Welcome to the Christian Coach Podcast. I am Chad Simpson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Gian Lemmy. And here at the Christian Coach Podcast, we are excited to serve coaches through conversations so that they can lead like Jesus. Now, Gian, just curious there at Liberty, do you guys have a, a manual um, to give to the players on the do's and the don'ts, welcoming them into the program? Yeah, it's a much smaller manual. Now we've gotten to two pages only. Um, but at the beginning of, uh, of our stay here at Liberty, it was a much bigger manual. And we realized that that doesn't work, that the more rules you have, the more problems you have. Um, and so we've, we've struck down a, many of our rules and we're basically now with respect yourself, respect your teammates and respect the program basically. And so that, I think it's an overarching theme that helps players make decisions without feeling too constrained by so many rules. That's, that's really good. And, and today our guest got into his manual, um, kind of the evolution of, of what he was doing with, with the manual, but, uh, and many, many things uh, on addition to that. But uh, today's guest is Dean Jaderston, and he is the head women's basketball coach at Friends University. And he's got over 30 years of coaching high school and college basketball. Um, he's been a, a conference coach of the year. He's coached six NAI All-Americans. Um, and he's also the executive director of a Premier Christian Camp uh, up in Minnesota. And this is a, a personal um, interview for me because I was uh, became a Christian at, at this camp. And Dean was, was the, the leader there of the high school group. And uh, just so much respect for him big strong man he loves the lord and i really enjoyed from this interview you know how he talked about his manual how he handles discipline and i was able to to pick his brain just a little bit on his parenting strategies um, i think you're really going to enjoy this this interview a lot of wisdom from dean and we're ready to get into it right now Dean Jaderston, it is an honor to have you on the Christian Coach Podcast. Thanks so much for taking time to, to talk with us and to share. And we, uh, we just want to get right after it and, and hear uh, what does it mean to you to be a Christian coach? It's a, it's a great question. Um, and it's interesting in the course of my career that that term has, has taken on a little different turn for me. Um, as a basketball coach, I, I knew a number of coaches who were called Christian coaches and they actually had a little almost stigma to them. And as I wrestled with myself, what kind of coach was I going to be? What had called God called me to be? Uh, I shifted that perspective a little bit. Um, I'm a follower of Jesus who also coaches and I can take that in a number of different ways. I'm a, I'm not a Christian dad. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus who is also a dad. Uh, my wife and I direct a camp. I'm not just a Christian camp director. I'm, I'm a Christian and I also direct a camp. And for me, making that distinction was a, a really helpful, helpful tool to establish my priorities. My first priority is, is to follow Jesus. First prior, priority is to serve him, to lean on him. Whatever I do as a director, as a coach, as a dad, as a husband, um, that becomes a secondary thing. It's still important, but it becomes secondary. And, and so... Um, I feel like I've been given this opportunity um, as I follow Jesus to be in an arena that I love to compete, to make a difference in people's lives. Um, but that first, the first priority wherever I go still has to be to follow Jesus. 
and your first jobs were as a, a high school coach, coaching basketball and tennis. Uh, what led you to take that first head coaching position there at Trinity? It's a, it's kind of a fun story. Um, let me try and shrink it a little bit. Uh, when I was uh, first at coaching, I was head boys and girls tennis, which you get to coach kids for four years. Your freshmen come in, you get to know them not all. It's not a big program. I was an assistant basketball coach. And so, again, I was coaching freshmen and sophomores and, and working with them all the way through their senior year. When I got my first head boys coaching job, that all kind of switched. And you're working with your varsity team. You're doing all the other stuff that head coaches do. And after four years of being in an absolutely amazing school, I got to open a brand new high school in, in Minnesota. Go Eastview. Still, we're, we're still fans. Um, got to design a gym, do all the things that you always want to do as a young coach. I had noticed that I was missing that long-term relationships that I had had when I was coaching some smaller sports or an assistant. And I wasn't really trying to do anything about it. I wasn't actively looking to move. And then a phone call from the AD at Trinity. Um, he asked me to apply and I said, I really don't want to leave. And he said, well, I still think you ought to apply. And the application process there was a video interview. You had to answer 25 questions on video back in the day, old VHS stuff. And I said, okay, God, I will do this. I really don't want to move, but I'll do it. And just an extraordinary story. I did the video. Um, and in the area we lived, there were these two post offices. One was big and it was pretty fast. The other was small and had a really cranky lady who always worked at it. And you always got yelled at when you went there. So I never went to the little Rosemont post office, but because of other errands, I, uh, I'm, I ended up going to that post office and I'm standing in line. The lady's yelling at somebody and I'm like, God, why am I, I doing this? I don't want to leave Eastview. I don't want to move. We love our church. We love our, our neighborhood. Our kids have friends. And all of a sudden I hear behind me, Hey, Hey, coach Jaderston, how are you? I turn around. It's a mom of a former tennis player of ours. And I said, hey, you know, how's it going? And, and I'm still in this really bad mood, just, just cranky. And I said, well, how's Kathy doing? And she says, oh, she's loving life. She's playing softball at the school. I said, oh, where did she end up going to school? And the mom says, oh, it's a little school. You probably never heard of it in Chicago. It's called Trinity International University. Mm -hmm. And here I am holding this tape. Made You know, it's going to the 80 at Trinity and a in a post office that I didn't want to be in. I'm like, okay, God, I got I to gotta follow this thing. And I actually went to the interview pretty resentful. I didn't want to move. I didn't want to go. And I just prayed and I said, God, if, if I need, if this is where you're leading me, somehow you got to change my heart. And I'm not usually this kind of, you know, I, I want good hard facts to help me make decisions. And I'm just like, I don't know, God changed my heart. And interview went fine. I got fogged in at O'Hare got delayed, had to miss the second day of work. And so now I'm in a really bad mood. I get off the plane, walk out of the airport, get in the car with Julie and realize my heart had changed. And it wasn't because I had thought everything was perfect. It wasn't because the money was good. It was just the opposite. We'd be taking a pay cut, but God changed my heart and said, this is where you need to be. Um, and we're like, okay, we don't know how we're going to do this. And um, tried to sell our house. It wouldn't sell. Uh, we were like, okay, now we're stuck. We can't, we can't buy a house while we're sitting in our house wondering what we're going to do. There's a knock on a door and somebody shows up and says, Dean, you're supposed to go to Trinity. Here's 10 grand to help on your down payment. And if you don't pay your, if you can't sell your house, we'll pay your mortgage until you do. 
I mean, just just absolutely oh, wow. miraculous things. And so it was like, okay, God, we're going, and, and let's let's see what happens. So it wasn't that it was this career move I wanted to make. It wasn't that it was this huge step, you know, or we're going to make more money and do things. This was God saying, Dean, this is the next step in your career, and I'm going to take care of you when you go. I think a lot of uh, coaches and just Christians in general struggle with this idea of like, what is God's will? And I have to find it. And um, they're worried about 10 years down the road. But do you have a process that you and your wife have gone through to discern these moves that you've made in your career? Um, oh, and I'm forgetting the name of the author. The book is Just Do It. Um, it's a great little book on I'm following God's will. Um for us, uh, God has always given us this, this confirmation once we've stepped out on faith. Um, we've never known before we took the first step. And yet, as we are in his word, as we're talking about what makes us tick, what, what's, how he's gifted us, what we want to do, um, I believe that there's a big, wide range that's, that's still within God's, God's will. And sometimes we... we uh, we stall ourselves because we want too many, too many signs before we step out in faith. And I've always believed God wants us to take big steps. And if, if we, my first coaching job was another miracle job. It never should have happened. I had a, a two minute window to call a school that had the ideal job for me. And that's when I happened to call the school in those two minutes. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, but when we step out in faith and trust God, God shows up. And, and so it's got to be within his will. It's got to be within, you know, it's got to be within the things he tells us to do. But within that range, there's a whole wide range of stuff. And um, when we came to Sterling from Trinity, we were loving Trinity. And um, but uh, when the AD from Sterling called, I uh, asked my wife, I said, Julia, uh, what do you think about moving to Kansas? And she said, no way in God's green earth are we ever moving to Kansas. <laughs> And then she asked our son, who was going to be a senior, and he comes up and says, well, you know, when we moved in sixth grade, that was a good thing for me. Maybe an adventure my senior year would be a, a good thing. It's like, okay, now God's speaking through the mouth of babes. <laughs> we come out on the interview, and we're driving around, and Julie goes, I think God wants us to move to Kansas. Yeah. And that was 14 years ago. So um, being, being in relationship and just trusting and knowing that when you step out, he's going to take care of you. And, and for us, that's that's kind of been the process we've gone through. From from coaching uh, in high school there in Minnesota to Trinity to Sterling to now at Friends, uh, how have you changed or, or grown as a coach? Oh, wow. Um, I think uh, one of the funniest stories, we were just talking about this as a staff. When I got my first head coaching job, um, I made the manual to end all manuals. I had consequences. I had rules. I had every situation covered. I remember going through it with my team and, you know, we get to week one and I can't remember half the stuff in the, it's in the manual. It's so big. And, and I wanted to have, I wanted to be this great coach and I wanted to have everything all set. And the reality was coaching is this fluid, active process that we're in and it changes quickly. Um, probably the most profound thing that ever happened to me was I, I read Leading from the Heart by Mike Krzyzewski. Um, probably the best coaching book I've ever read. Uh, to this day, I read it every season before the season starts. Mm. I take my staff through it every four years. And uh, the concepts of being a leader, not a manager, um, trusting, 
trusting the Holy Spirit even within me, even though that's not a spiritual concept of the book. Uh, it was kind of one of my takeaways that the Spirit, Holy Spirit is in me and trusting my instincts, trusting the principles that I live by. Uh, that changed how I coach a ton. And my, my, uh, my manual has shrunk to about a page and it comes to expectations and rules. And really, I operate with one major rule, you either bless or curse people. And if you're cursing people, we're going to deal with it. If you're blessing people, we love having you around. And just about any decision, if a kid's out drinking, they're cursing our program, they're cursing their teammates. If they're acting up in class, they're cursing somebody, we're going to deal with that. And we want our players to just bless people wherever they go. And so learning how to lead instead of manage was probably the biggest, the biggest shift in my perspective. Um, uh, going ahead. Uh, I think the second thing was somewhere in there when I got older and had been around long enough, I think maybe even being at Trinity where we were really bad the first year, we were two and 31, um, which was a very humbling experience for a coach who thought he could coach. The importance of relationships in that coaching journey. Um, that same team, uh, we still have great memories and friendships. Uh, Dennis was on that team. He's my um, right-hand guy at Northern Pine still to this day. Adam was on that team. He and his wife have come and taught. Uh, Naroop was on that team. He's going to be a speaker at Northern Pines next year. And, and just staying in contact with those guys, it wasn't about the wins and losses. It was about the relationships. And it was about the journey that you go on. And it was about those spaces that you can't plan. You know, it's the conversation that happens in a van that's completely unexpected. It's the sitting around a hotel after the match or after the game, and you're just having some convert, random conversation. Um, it's, I remember we took a mission trip down to Panama, and I was walking with a kid. We were picking up shells because he was looking for shells for his little sister. And last night we debriefed. And I hadn't thought anything of it. You know, I'd done stuff like that with my boys, and, and that's just what you do. You're, you're there, you pick up shells. And they're talking some pretty serious stuff, and he says – you know, my favorite memory of the trip was when coach and I were picking up shells. It was the first time I ever felt I had a dad. Mm. Like you can't plan that. You don't, you don't have that in your itinerary, but it's those moments that you realize the importance of what you're really doing. And, uh, and so building those relationships, taking the time, um, finding out more than just their basketball skills and, and things, but uh, doing life together with people that became a much higher priority the longer and longer I've coached. And that's, that's still the really fun part of what we do. When you spoke about putting together a, a big manual, um, that made me think uh, my first day as a college coach, I signed the papers at like 9 a.m. and went to my first meeting at 1 p.m. And I had like two rules. And, and that year we had everything go wrong. So I ended up coming up with this massive manual. And, and this is what we do here at Point. And now I'm kind of coming back to, I want less rules, but uh, I was curious, uh, how do you handle um, the discipline within your team? Because uh, as coaches, we want to help re rehabilitate and help give grace, but we also need standards and, and rules that um, actions have consequences. So can you talk to that? Yeah. Um, I wish I had it figured out. <laughs> Um, I'm, this year, it was, it, was, it was an intrigue. I came into a program last year that had a lot of culture things that we had to address. Um, I had, I think, six girls that couldn't finish the season because they didn't 
buy into whether it was study halls or classrooms or how we interact as a team and things like that. Every one of them, except for one who was a senior, I said, look, love you. would love to have you back. If you want to do it next year, come on back. But you can't finish the season with us. Um, uh, all but one came back. They wanted to be a part of what we were doing. And um, all, but, all but another one have, have made it this year. So I'm really excited about that. But it, it goes back to discipline should be restorative. It's got to be consistent. Um, it's got to be fair. Um, and it works best when they know you love them, even though you're having to discipline them, just like, just like your kids. Um, and so I, I can tell lots of stories where we gave kids too many chances. I can tell stories where I got frustrated and did stupid stuff that I shouldn't have done. Um, and it's just one of those things, again, you, you have to, once you've done something dumb, you don't, you try not to repeat that down the road. I, I once walked out of a game, typed up a letter of release and went into my locker room and handed it to a kid. Dumb, dumb move. You know, I was just, I've learned I never make personnel decisions or discipline decisions right after a loss. It just never, never does anybody any good. I got to sleep on it at least tonight. Um, but um, I have to continually ask myself, is this restorative? Am I, is this about my pride being hurt? Is this about my image as a coach? Am I trying to protect that? Or am I doing what's best for the team and for the kids? And too often I come back to, yeah, Dean, you're just, you're just mad because you look bad in the situation. And, and that's not a good motivation for what, what you're doing. So uh, the other thing I would say is uh, I've learned to have really good um, people I trust, coaches and other programs, before I make any major decisions, okay, talk me through this. Am I being heavy-handed? Am I being too light? We can't be objective with our own kids. It's just impossible. And, and so to go to them and say, hey, talk me through this. What do you think? I've gotten really good perspective advice from people who aren't too deep in the situation to see it clearly. And as you kind of talked about the discipline within your team and um, talking about raising children, uh, before the, the call, you were saying how, how two of your boys are um, serving serving uh, in ministry and one, one's considering a future there. Um, but can you just tell me, what did you emphasize as a parent um, as you're trying to raise your children to, to follow Christ? Yeah, um, we're really, really fortunate. All three of our boys love Jesus. They're, they're great young men, and we're really, really proud of them. There were a couple of things that... Uh, in our house, we're just absolutes. Um, you never disrespect your mom or your dad, but really your mom. You don't. And those conversations were very quick and short to the point. And, and um, all three of our boys love their mom and they talk to their mom a lot. You don't lie. You don't lie. We can work through anything if you tell the truth, but you don't lie. Um, and then actually, if you talk to my boys, most of them, I think most of the time, they're all going to say the other factor in life was don't be afraid. The most common commandment in the Bible is do not be afraid, be strong, be courageous, do not fear. I, I wanted to raise fearless boys. Uh, I wanted them to trust that God's going to show up, um, to take risks, to jump off cliffs and, and, and do things. Um, and so, you know, even now as our youth pastors, missionaries, and they speak, you, you hear that come up a lot. But that was a, a constant theme. You know, we're heading off to Chicago. Don't be afraid. I have no idea where we're going to live, but we're going. We're heading off to Kansas. Don't be afraid. And um, that's, that was one of those things that, um, you know, uh, I think back to the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer and, hey, let's go over. Perhaps God's going to show up. 
let's climb the mountain. Perhaps God's going to show up and do something extraordinary. So, yeah, those were the those were the big things. Um, the other things with our family, I think that was really unique. Uh, with Northern Pines, the camp we direct with uh, being in youth ministry, both in Sterling and and some different places, we did a lot of ministry together as a family. Uh, Wednesday nights was youth group. We'd go set up. We'd have youth ministry, youth group. We'd come down, come home, tear down, and ten thirty go home and make a big pile of nachos. We'd stand in the kitchen and just talk about life and talk about what happened. And there were a lot of sweet moments with our whole family just doing ministry together. And that, that I think, uh, those conversations, I think, were the most important ones we ever had. I was not good at being like the structured, we're going to have our daily devotions as a family or we're going to do this. Uh, coaching, you're always on the run and moving. And we just didn't have those specific times that I was good at carving out, but those real and genuine conversations, uh, I wouldn't trade those for the world. When you talk about Northern Pines, that's uh, near and dear to my heart, as that was the camp that uh, I first heard the gospel and came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And uh, I was wondering, for you with small kids and um, coaching, uh, how did you decide to, to take the time to invest your, your summers there into that camp? Yeah, I, I started there in 1989. Matt was nine months old. He didn't go the first year. And we've done it every every year since, except one when Jake was born right in the middle of camp. I, Julie wasn't willing to go have a baby at camp, so we had to skip <laughs> that year. Um, I don't know. I, I wish I was reading, you know, we, we you sent me some questions to think about, and I don't have a good answer. I'm one of the few coaches I know. Um, I was on the recruiting trail with a two-year-old. You know, and and our kids all the way through when we were in Trinity, Jake was playing AU ball. Matt was tra playing traveling basketball. Mike was doing things. I was trying to recruit coach. And I just think God multiplied time. I have no other answer for it. Um, uh, that we had these moments as a family. We I, I'm blessed. My wife was my college basketball coach's daughter. So she understands what life's like and she likes being in a gym. So. She'd go on a lot of recruiting trips. The boys would go with me. Um, and somehow God opened up time and moments for us. I, I, I can't go back and say I had this really good strategy, but I had a lot of great moments with my kids and with my family. And um, we had vacations. Sometimes they were basketball vacations, but they were still vacations. We, um, um, we just had some good, good moments where we just we played together as a family a lot. And, and I think that was a huge, huge, huge thing. So I, I don't know. Um, one of my concerns about young coaches today in my world, basketball coaches have about an 80% divorce rate. And they're young, they're starting their families, they're out on the road recruiting, there's lots of things going on. And I have a real concern for especially young men who are, are starting out their career as dads and husbands and coaching and trying to find that time. Um, I don't have a great strategy except to say you got to play with your kids and you got to play with your family and you got a vacation and you got to have those moments. And um, God provided those for us. I don't know any other way to, to say it. It's kind of like loaves and fishes. There shouldn't have been as much time as there was, but it ended up being there. And I think it's when you're faithful and you follow and you're obedient, God shows up and, and takes care of you. I, I agree uh, that marriage is under attack, and, and I'm thinking about those, 
those coaches that maybe their marriage is on the rocks right now. Is there any advice that you could give? Maybe they're on the recruiting trail right now, um, whatever the circumstance, but can you talk to that coach who um, their marriage is on the rocks? Yeah. Um, the best thing we do, I think, for our players is we show them what a godly marriage looks like. We show them what it's like to love our, our wives or love our husbands. That's that has more power than anything else we do. Uh, one more player is not going to make or break our program. One more player isn't going to change. Everybody's going to get players this year. Everybody's going to play games. Uh, I think when we show our players that our, our wives or our husbands matter, that every, every situation our kids have is not a crisis. We can deal with it the next day and they need, you know, I, the other day we were finishing our practice and I said, hey, we're getting out of here quick. If you need something, talk to me on Monday because I'm taking my wife on date night tonight. And, and you know, they, all the girls giggle and stuff, but they need to hear that stuff from us. Um, I also, uh, I think you got to have people as young coaches, you got to have older coaches who you talk to, who can say to you, just like we say to our kids, you know, hey, you know, you're hitting your, your forehand really flat. You got to somebody on the outside can see it when they can't see it in the moment. We all have to have coaches in our life who say, Hey, wait a minute. You're here every night till 10 o'clock. That's not healthy. Get out of here. Go home. Uh, somebody who asks us about how our marriage is and, and talks to us. We, we have to have those people. And if we don't, we're all going to work ourselves to death and we're going to blow up our marriages because that's we're competitive. And that's, that's the way we, we tend to be wired. That's what makes us good coaches at times. But that's why we have to have some of those mentors and some of that accountability in our lives or we all we all lose perspective sometimes. I, uh, I just want to bring it back to, to basketball just for a minute. And, you know, from the outside, you know, you were a two time coach of the year, coach six NIL Americans, um, won, won the conference tournament from the outside. That looks like a really strong success. And I'm just curious, as you look back on your coaching career, um, what, how do you define success and what really stands out to you as, um, as, a, as a positive that, that you're just thankful to have experienced? Um, it depends on the given day sometimes. And, you know, those championships were a lot of fun. There is no doubt. And as coaches, um, I think as, as believers even, we should never – feel guilty about being competitive. That's the way God wired us. We are, we are made in God's image. We have certain gifts and abilities and, and I'm a competitive guy and that's how God made me. That's what causes me to work harder sometimes. Um, that's, that's a good thing. Now, like any good thing, it can also be used for evil. And so I have to, to watch that, but um, there's no doubt that those were professionally, personally, very satisfying. Um, at the same time, the moments that really deeply satisfy and stay are performing the wedding for one of your players, you know, and uh, Julie and I have had the privilege of doing a lot of premarital counseling for some of our players and their fiancés and, and several of them have asked us to do weddings to be part of that process in the next stage of their life. You know, they're done playing. They don't have to ask you. They're, they're not. But there's something there and, and to be part of that ongoing dialogue with them. Um, for me, probably the most personally rewarding is when you see kids all of a sudden have their eyes opened that life has more. And 
and you're part of this journey where maybe you're planting a seed, maybe you're watering it, maybe you're just yanking. Uh, we use the metaphor a lot that in coaching, we're making good soil. We're, there's some kids, we're just blowing up rocks and getting rocks out of their life for somebody else to come through. Um, one of my favorite stories, I had a, you know, you get those 130 calls and they just scare you to death. Your phone rings, you answer it. And it's one of my players and he's like, coach, I got to ask you a question. And I'm thinking he's in jail. I'm thinking there's a car accident. You know, I don't know what's going on. And he's like, you're always telling us these things from the Bible. Is there anything in the Bible about patience? Because my girlfriend's killing me right now. And I'm like, okay, first, don't call me with this at one, three in the morning. Call me tomorrow. You know, I, I've, my heart's beaten. But here was a kid who had no interest at all in God's word, no interest in things spiritual. But over one or two years, all of a sudden, the Bible becomes a source that he can go to because he needs help. And if the Bible's true about patience, and if the Bible's true about relationships, maybe the Bible's true about Jesus. And if the Bible's true about what Jesus said, then maybe you need to follow Jesus. And today, he and his wife are following Jesus. They're involved in a church. And he's a kid who I told when I first got the job, you need to go someplace else because we're not, we're not going to get along. And now we pull, we blew up some big stones. We pulled some weeds and thistles. And that, I think, when you see people like that who are following Jesus and living their life, um, when you see people who there's, they develop this sense that I can do something. They develop the efficacy that I have this competence. I have, I can make this shot, or I can get this job, or I can own a company. I can graduate from college. When you coach a lot of kids who's had nobody in their family that can do that. Uh, when you see those kids take that and grow, that's, that's the best part of what we do. Um, that's, you know, and we don't know. Sometimes they choose to follow Jesus. Sometimes they don't. When they do, that's great. When they don't, you just believe that the seed you planted and watered, that somewhere down the road, somebody else is going to come along and, and, and uh, someday they're, they're going to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to choose to follow him now. And, and you were a part of that process, even if you never, ever knew it. I wanted to ask uh, one final question. Um, just when, when you retire, uh, what do you want your legacy to be? Um. That's coming. I'm in my 50s now, so I have to start thinking about this a little bit more. Um, I want my players to know that I loved them. Um, that was, uh, you know, you asked earlier about what changed. Uh, I, I use the word love a lot more, both coaching men and coaching women than I did when I was in my first 10, 15 years of coaching. I want my players to know that I, I loved them. And um, that's a big word and that's a hard word, but um That's, I, I hope that, um, I want, I want my family to know that they came first and through that whole process. And I want my players to see that. Um, and I want to get to the end, um, person, this is kind of a personal thing. I, I want to be faithful to the end. Um, I don't want to coach the last four years because I need four more years to get my social security. Uh, I want, I've seen too many coaches who their kids didn't get a fair deal the last three or four years. They didn't get everything the coach had. Um, I've always been a big believer. We go through seasons in our life and when one season is done, it needs to be done. You don't drag it out forever. It happens in ministry, happens in coaching. Um, so for me personally, I, I want to be able to say that last year I coach, 
I coached as hard as I did my first year. I coached as hard as I did in, in the middle of my career um, because I loved what I was doing. And I loved the kids I worked with and I loved my staff. So I think if they feel like they're loved and, and they feel like we did everything we could to be the best that we could be, if, if we really believe we're creating the image of God, then we should be doing everything we can to make that image the best possible. Um, whatever gifts he gives us to be the best we could be. If I have a championship team, we better win a championship. If I have a team who the best they can do is get to fifth in the conference, we ought to get to fifth and maybe try and get to fourth. Um, and so uh, trying to use everything, use all of our abilities, not bury any talents at all, but but use them, invest them. We might lose them, but be fearless in the process and, and um, realize that uh, there's greatness out there. If, if our kids are willing to work at it and I want them to feel like they were pushed toward that and they actually got to experience it once in a while. And I, uh, I just wanted to, to tell you publicly, thank you for, for your ministry and your work. Um, just for me from 2002 to 2006 to, to get to sit under your teaching. And I don't remember everything you taught us from the Bible, but I just remember seeing a, a big, strong man up, up holding a Bible and sharing the, the truth. Uh, of Jesus Christ. And uh, that made a, a big impact on my life. So I just want to tell you, thank you for that. And just wanted to ask if there's any, anything that we can be praying for you today. Yeah. Um, and, and Chad, I, I would also just return that, um, you know, you talk about those moments. I think it was quite a while when we haven't talked in a long time and all of a sudden we reconnected and, and, and your book came out, which I loved reading, by the way, um, helped me understand a little bit of younger athletes. So it was good for me. Um, but those are the things as coaches we need. We need to have players come back or students come back and, and just reconnect. That's, that was one of the highlights of this last year, especially with the pandemic going on. It was, it was a really big deal to me, so thanks. Uh, for me, uh, I would say, one, um, I had started a new adventure a year ago. I started coaching women again after coaching men for, oh gosh, over 20 years. And it's been a blast. It's given me a new energy. I'm having a lot of fun, but it's a whole new learning curve. And, um, and in today's world too, that's, there's just a lot of tough things that I'm, I'm learning how to be a good women's coach. And so that's, that's probably the biggest thing for me. And as personally, as a coach, I would say, um, with my kids all graduated, uh, I'm also on a new learning curve. My wife and I are empty nesters. And so we're kind of rediscovering life without kids and life with grandkids and how to keep that, that relationship passionate and, and growing. Um, and, and again, I, th I think when we, when we model a healthy marriage to our kids and our players, there's probably nothing more important than we can do. So continuing to play, pay for, pray for that relationship. And, and then I think, uh, for all of us coaches, navigating this pandemic is something I've never had experience with. And I'm really concerned with the stress and anxiety and chemical use and fear that our kids are going through, um, that we would we would be fearless as we help them. Um, they would see our confidence in God and not be shaken and, and we would navigate this well. I think that's for all of us coaches out there, that's the ch biggest challenge we're facing right now. This year, championship wins and stuff, it all pales into helping our kids get through this thing. So good. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Dear God, we, we just bow down before you once again and just declare that you're the Alpha and the Omega. And you're the Almighty God. And uh, thanks so much for 
reconnecting me and, and Dean. Uh, thanks for the influence that he's had on my life personally. And uh, right now we just lift him up in, in prayer um, right where he's at uh, with, with his team, that you give him wisdom as he leads this women's team, um, that, that they would see him prioritize his marriage and that you uh, just help him and Julie navigate this new season of life with uh, the empty house and, and grandkids. And God, I just pray that, that both of us would just be fearless to, to help serve and, and love and counsel uh, this, this younger generation as they're dealing with, with a lot. And just give us wisdom and uh, do help us to, to not fear, not be afraid, but just to move forward uh, fearless. Praise all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So thankful for Dean um, sharing his story with us and so much wisdom in that interview, Chad. The, the one thing that I really got out of it, I got many things, but the one that really stuck to me was when he talked about the feeling that you have that, of accomplishment when your former athletes still want to be a part of your life um, after college, when they, you have no ties to them, but they still they keep reaching back out with questions, uh, seeking guidance and wisdom. And now I've been coaching for a little bit and I'm starting to get that, those messages and those calls, which makes me feel um, very accomplished in my job, you know, because winning tennis matches is important, but changing lives is much more important. For sure. And I think uh, Dean hit on that as well. Uh, he was just so thankful for that. And, um, and even off there sharing other stories of just players reaching out to him. Uh, I think that's why we coach, but um, I, I loved, you know, my, my kids are six, four and one right now. And just thinking about raising children and seeing that Dean's done that and his kids are grown and raised. And just that word fearlessness, really trying to teach his boys to be fearless. I, I appreciated that. And, uh, and also just hearing all these stories of coaches and their journeys have been really encouraging that just God is putting his people where he wants them. And, and it's just us to be faithful. And I think Dean's a, a beautiful example of that, where he's been faithful right where he's at. And many people just think true success is, is climbing that, that D1 ladder and, and making a million dollars or, or whatever. And, uh, and I just look at Dean, he's been faithful where he's at and had a huge impact on so many lives. And I just wanna take that for myself and right today, as, as we go out into the, to the practice court, to just remember that the mission field is, is right where I'm at.